Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 128 of the John Riley Project. It's Sunday, April 19th, 2020, and we are broadcasting, as we always do, from the city and the country, Poway, California. And of course, this episode is brought to you by our friends from PowayStore.com. Man, I got a lot I want to get into, and I was hoping, actually, I was challenging myself. I want to put together a podcast today that was completely unrelated to COVID-19, unrelated to the coronavirus, unrelated to the economic fallout from the coronavirus, unrelated to the health matters, health issues with the coronavirus. I wanted to kind of, while the rest of the world is zigging, I wanted to zag. And so I challenged myself and I thought, what what are some topics we can discuss? And just thinking about a few things that are top of mind, and, and that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Daryl Hall um, from the band Hall & Oates. I want to talk about Malachi Flynn, uh, the basketball player from San Diego State University. I'm going to talk a little bit about what my uh, one of my viewers, one of my listeners referred to as the JRP sine wave. We'll talk a little bit about that. And if we have time, um, I want to get into this fun topic of Swedish death cleaning, which I think would be kind of a fun one to explore. But yeah, this podcast is all about the um, our higher purpose, about our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think, you know, hey, all of this fits in. You know, that's the kind of the framework that we work upon. But before we get into Daryl Hall and Malachi Flynn, I just want to touch on this, this sine wave thing. And one of my listeners uh, was commenting on this with me over the weekend, and they said that they they listened to um, episode number one twenty seven, and um, and that was the one we were talking about the the, the COVID nineteen protesters, and he he said that listening to the podcast was like a sine wave. He said he he would listen to to the, what we were talking about, and um, he would go from loving what I was saying to really not liking what I'm saying at all to suddenly loving what. I was saying, and then suddenly not liking at all what I was what I was talking about, and he was riding this sine wave throughout the podcast, and he he thought it was interesting that he noticed that, and when he explained that to me, I said, oh, that's that's fantastic, actually, um, that that's what you experience because a lot of times when we get our media, you know, you'll you'll tune into on let's just say Fox News or MSNBC or the Wall Street Journal, and they typically are very um, how should I say they're either very left wing or very right wing or very corporate status quo um, supportive of the establishment and they kind of all stay in their lane. Um, but, you know, I'm politically independent, you know, so my views sometimes are in the liberal world, sometimes in the conservative world, sometimes in a very different place. I like to think of it as sort of the liberty world is a lot of what we talk about. I mean, after all. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what this podcast is about. So the fact, I know maybe have you experienced that listening or watching to this podcast? Do you go from liking what I'm talking about to disliking and then suddenly liking again? Is it that back and forth? Um, I, I like it. And I hope that when you are listening or viewing this podcast, I'm hoping that you get something out of it. I hope I'm opening you up to new ideas, new perspectives on things. I mean, we can all tune in to our favorite um, uh, news media and kind of get spoon fed exactly what we want to hear. I like to try to bring up topics that are going to challenge the status quo and in some cases generate some really good discussion. And that's a big part of why I have this podcast is to have that sort of civil 
rational conversation about some of these, frankly, heavy issues. I mean, I've been going on Facebook lately, and maybe people are just feeling cooped up. But I see brawls and flame wars going on in social media, and it's something. But um, I just like talking through things. And when we have a guest here, sometimes guests are they have different opinions, different perspectives. I love having guests on this podcast, and we're starting to get more guest inquiries. We're going to be doing more of this on Zoom, um, so love that. So let me just put that out there. If you know anyone that would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh, please reach out to me. Go to my website at johnreillyproject.com, and there, there's all sorts of ways you can connect with me. Um, but even when we're doing our, our interviews with some of our guests, some of the things Um, We learn from those guests some of the things I like, some of the things I dislike. And even in the areas where we don't have agreement, I just love exploring it, understanding why people think the way they do, what are the values and principles that drive them to those opinions. Um, I think it's just fascinating stuff. So um, like I said, when I I heard uh, there was a sine wave uh, that in terms of how people felt listening or viewing this podcast, it made me smile. Now, Today's podcast, we're not going to really do much politics at all. So maybe it's going to be a smoother, steady ride than an up and down roller coaster. But let's dig in. I, I want to talk about Daryl Hall. And, you know, Daryl Hall is from the rock band Hall and & Oates. And, and I, I've commented on this before that about five, six years ago, I made a decision that there were three artists, you know, or bands that I wanted to see, um, you know, now that I'm in my 50s, I just want to make sure I get to see these guys. And the first band was Rush, and I got to see them, and it was a fantastic show. And they ended up, um, you know, stopping touring, like, within less than a year after that, that show where I saw them here in San Diego. So I got them right at the end. I was lucky. My second artist I wanted to see was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and unfortunately, Tom Petty passed away suddenly, far too young. Um, but the third um, act or artist I want to see is is Daryl Hall and John Oates, and you know this is a this, these these two guys are really big influences on me. You know, we talk about the music that is most important to you in your life, and it's usually the music that's popular in your senior year of high school. And I remember someone told me that a long time ago, and that makes a lot of sense because that's when music really becomes an important part of your life. And the senior year of high school is such a a special time in a person's life that the music makes a key difference. The music is the soundtrack of your senior year of high school. So for me, you know, I graduated in 1982. And so that was right in the heyday of Hall and Oates when they were on MTV and MTV was a new thing then. And so, um, you know, I had known of Hall and Oates in the 70s, but in the 80s, they kind of went to a new place, not unlike ZZ Top, you know, who went to a new place once they entered the video age. Um, so uh, always wanted to see Hall and Oates. And I was very fortunate for my birthday. My wife bought me tickets, you know, for the two of us to go see Hollow Notes down at the amphitheater in Chula Vista. And I was all excited. And it, it's in May, in late May. And of course, that concert was canceled. So we're, you know, trying to figure out how to get our money back from that. But I'm hoping that I'll have another opportunity. But, you know, a lot of the, they're talking about having concerts canceled, not just through 2020, but into 2021. Um, we may not see live concerts. So, uh, you know, I may not get a chance to see Daryl Hall and John Oates, but I do hope to uh, to do so. But anyways, last night, 
I was just hanging out and, you know, sometimes I, I get on YouTube and I'm watching things and, and I just started watching more of the TV show and it's called um, Live from Daryl's House. And now if you've ever seen it, but Daryl Hall has this house, I think it's in Pennsylvania, back in the, uh, in the country area. And he lives there, but he also has this studio where he invites famous musicians to come in and jam with his band. And sometimes they'll sing songs that the famous musician is known for. Sometimes they'll sing Hall & Oates songs. And, and it's collaborative and it's fun to watch because it's real. It's, it's not like a performance, although it is a performance, but you're seeing, you know, some of the grittiness of what goes on in some of these rehearsals. And I just love the show. I think it's terrific. And I I had mentioned a few podcasts ago, there was an episode where he appeared with the band Finger Eleven and they did a cover of Bill Withers' song, Ain't No Sunshine. And it's a fabulous cover. I encourage you to go check it out. It's it's not Bill Withers, but it's still very good. Um, but anyways, I saw a bunch of episodes last night and they were just fantastic. And one of them was with Joe Walsh, you know, from the Eagles. And and he came on there and, and it was interesting. They did all of his solo stuff. So they did Funk 49 and Rocky Mountain Way and Life's Been Good. And they really didn't do many Eagles songs, if I recall, which was interesting. But Joe Walsh, man, that guy is something. Um, he, he he talked a lot about the state of the music industry and how young people are trying to, you know, make a career in music, but there's no money selling albums like there used to be. Um, and, you know, so he's wondering what the future of the music industry is going to be. Um, he was also commenting about how music nowadays is is a drum machine and samples and and you know, a lot of these live concerts have lost that magic of, you know, the human artistry that goes into the performance, that that specialness when, you know, a group of musicians come together to create something magnificent. Um, and, and I thought he was absolutely right. So he was saying, yeah, the music of today, he thinks lacks the magic. Now, that's easy for you know, some of us that are, you know, that's more of an okay boomer thing, I think, where, you know, some of us folks that are a little bit older, we always reflect on our own music and why it's important to us and what makes it special. But um, I saw Joe Walsh, my wife and I, we went and saw him at the Oceanside Pier. And it was a concert probably like in 19, I don't know, like the late 90s. And man, that was a great show. And it was Joe Walsh, and he had three musicians with him. Um, There was a keyboard player, a bass player, and a drummer, and then Joe Walsh on guitar. And these three other musicians that were with him, all of them were in their 20s. And Joe Walsh at the time was probably in his 50s or 60s. And what a a great show. And Walsh is just so awesome. He's funnier than hell. Um, And just incredibly talented with the guitar. I mean... And so what he was doing collaboratively with Daryl Hall was just really special. And I'd encourage you to go check that out. And the other cool part of the show live at Daryl's house is that when they have the artists that come in and they collaborate, they also take breaks. They, they, they cook food, they, they eat together and they're just hanging out at Daryl's house. And so at, in this one episode, they were, um, they had a, what kind of a chef was it? I can't recall. Um, what the type of food was, but the chef was explaining how she goes about this recipe and, and, and they always try to get the artists in there to help them in the kitchen, just like a, 
like a cooking segment on the Today Show. And uh, and there's Joe Walsh, man. He's just over the stove and cooking his food, stirring the pot. And I'm thinking, man, this is how I'm spending my Saturday nights watching Joe Walsh cook a meal um, for uh, for Daryl Hall and all of his guys. But it was great. And then I saw the episode with Billy Gibbons. And it, it was Billy Gibbons, of course, the guitar player from ZZ Top. That was even better than the Joe Walsh. I mean, the, the the Billy Gibbons one was just really, really good. And they did a lot of the great, you know, um, ZZ Top songs like Thunderbird, um, Sharp Dressed Man, LaGrange, just really great blues music, that kind of Texas boogie stuff. And wow, it was a great show. And and. And then, you know, there Billy Gibbons got the the big beard, the whole thing, and just a great guy, you know, and it was cool to see him. And and of course they did a cooking segment um with Billy Gibbons, and then they were, you know, making this special guacamole and and uh it was great, you know. So it's just a really good show. And I don't know if you've seen the ZZ Top documentary that's on Netflix and it's really, really good. And it and it talks about how ZZ Top got started in the mid-60s. And how they came about their their band name and the ZZ Top is is kind of a spinoff of BB King, you know, because they like those initials to start the name of a of a band. Um, but it, it went through like that documentary on Netflix was great because they talked about what do they call it the uh, Worldwide Texas Tour, where the ZZ Top. What made them special was Texas. They embraced the Texas brand, and so when they went on their tour, they would bring like big longhorn cattle and, 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 um, you know, all kinds of, of animals and, and vultures and, and, you know, they, they brought the whole Texas experience, um, with them when they, when they played those shows in the seventies, which was just something. Um, so that, that was a really good documentary on Netflix, but it was just great seeing Billy Gibbons, you know, jamming with Daryl Hall and those guys. And I just loved it. And then there was a next episode I watched was the one with the OJs. You know, the OJs just this great, you know, R&B band from the seventies. And they're, they're part of that Philly sound. And, you know, Daryl Hall is from Philadelphia and, you know, he went, he went to Temple university. That's how we met John Oates. And he, he it was, it was, he was talking about how, you know, when he was a young kid and he was a teenager, he hung out with the Temptations. And, you know, so his roots are very much in, you know, that R&B um, kind of music. And then to see the OJs come uh, come over, you know, Love Train and like so many great songs that they did. And it was great to see there. There's three of the guys. I know the, the band, the at least the singers have changed a little bit over time, but definitely two of of the, those three were definitely originals and, and they were fantastic. So that was a good one. And then he also did an episode with Cheap Trick. And so there's Robin Zander and, and Rick Nielsen and Tom Peterson, and they're all there. And that was a fun one, too. I mean, it, musically, it wasn't as entertaining of an episode, but but from a personality perspective, you can tell. And Daryl Hall talked about it, where when Cheap Trick was big in the 70s, Hall & Oates was getting started in the 70s. So they had a lot of, um, um, you know, they, they were old friends. And I think Daryl Hall even mentioned that he lived with Tom Peterson you know, Tom Peterson, the, the bass player from Cheap Trick, he's famous for playing, I think it's a 12-string bass. So 
four no, – normally a bass has four strings and, and for each of those regular four strings, there were three individual strings. So four times three, 12. Um, so Tom Peterson, pretty famous for that. But it was great to see those guys. And again, it's just – it's cool to see these artists outside their element and to see them collaboratively working with each other in a studio with Daryl Hall's band. And these guys are just top notch um, to see them jam with them. And and they're just so versatile. And they, they pick up on the other guy's music really well. And they play off each other well. Total pros. And um, wow, a lot of fun to watch that. But man, these guys are getting old. And so as I was preparing these show notes, I looked them up and you know, these episodes I watch, I think were probably recorded about eight years ago. But today, Joe Walsh is 72 years old. Man, 72. Uh, Billy Gibbons is 70. And then two of the main guys from the OJs, um, Eddie Levert is 77 and Walter Williams is 76. And I was just reading that they're going to tour, or at least they plan to tour for one more year and they were going to retire. So, you know, we always make jokes about the Rolling Stones and how they're jamming into their 70s. Well, they're not alone, man. A lot of these other guys are in their 70s and they're, they look great. They look fantastic. They're healthy. They're, they're um, full of energy and they still got their chops. They're really good. So yeah, Eddie Levert, Walter Williams, 77 and 76 years old, respectively. Robin Zander, the singer from Cheap Trick, is 67. Rick Nielsen, the guitar player from Cheap Trick, 71. Tom Peterson, 69. So, wow. You know, so we're going to, it won't be too long. We're going to start seeing some more of these icons pass, but it's unbelievable, like how much they're older, you know, and I think of myself, I'm older too. We're all getting older and it's just natural. But even Daryl Hall and John Oates, and I told you, I was hoping to see them. The, the concert in May was canceled, unfortunately, and my wife had got really good tickets and I was really looking forward to that. Um, we were going to go backstage and actually get our pictures taken with them. It would have been awesome. Well, it, it ended up, you know, getting canceled, but Daryl Hall is 73 years old and John Oates is 72 so how much longer are those guys going to be, you know, performing and doing worldwide tours? And, yeah, you're in their 70s. You know, it's, it's something. So it's, it's just amazing. And, and so then after I was watching all these live at Daryl, um, Daryl's House episodes, then I started watching, you know, some of the Hollow Notes um, videos, some of the Hollow Notes um, uh, performance when they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was pretty cool. And then um, there was an interview that Daryl Hall did with um, Charlie Rose that was really good. And it was really interesting to hear Daryl. And he he's, you could tell he's very proud of what he's accomplished. And he should be. I mean, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he's just a fantastic musician and and he's done so much in his career. But, you know, he's not shy and he's very boastful and, and he, he believes that he, you know, is legit. And he is, in my opinion, but he doesn't back down from it at all. But one thing that was interesting that he talked about in the Charlie Rose interview is how people would refer to the term as blue eyed soul. And, you know, that's sort of a call out to saying white people that play or sing soul music. And you could tell that really upset him uh, because he he grew up um, in the Philadelphia area. He grew up in a mixed race neighborhood. Um, so to him, there wasn't black music and white music. It was just music. It was Philadelphia music. And then. 
you know, in his his teenage years, he legitimately hung out with the Temptations. Um, you know, he was kind of like their their gopher, you know, for some of their shows. And and so he feels like he's part of the R&B scene, part of the soul music scene and feels like he's a legitimate guy there. But when he's positioned as blue eyed soul, it's almost like a, a backhanded compliment. And boy, it irked him so much. Uh, and I get it. I understand why, um, because he, he's just a very talented guy. And he, it, he should just be known, in my opinion, as a soul singer, just as much as anyone else. Uh, but it's sad how a lot of music, you know, what people will say, oh, that's black music or that's white music. When really, why why do we need to do that? I mean, you look at R&B from the 1960s, which many people would have said is black music. That's fantastic music and music that people of all races enjoy. Um, and, and then even if you get into today, you know, with hip hop and I mean, there's a lot of obviously – black hip-hop artists, but they're white hip-hop artists and Asian hip-hop artists and mixed-race hip-hop artists. And hip-hop is popular with people of all of all races. Um, so it's a shame that, you know, there still is a little bit of that context of categorizing music by race. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting. So, you know, I get in these YouTube things where I'll just keep going down the rabbit hole and the next thing I know, it's like six hours later. And I just really enjoyed it. And I just wanted to share with you that I really enjoyed it because um, music's important. And, you know, think about the music that you like to listen to when you were a senior in high school. And I think that is some of the, the most important music in a person's life. And for me, Holland Oates is a big part of that. Um, so was Tom Petty. So was Rush. Um, all three of them hugely popular in my senior year of high school. Um, so just something. So I just I just really enjoyed it. I wanted to share that with you. Um, okay. Hey, how about a big shout out to our sponsor, PowerwayStore.com. Hey, you know what? They they contacted me today and they, they just changed their website and they're doing 20% off all the shirts. And so they've got shirts um, of you know, celebrating Poway, the city and the country. They've got this new shirt that's celebrating Twin Peaks. So it's a Twin Peaks shirt just for Poway. And they they come in, you know, the unisex T-shirt, you know, for men and women, but also the slimmer fitting women's version of the shirt is available. And there's, um, yeah, a whole bunch of different shirts, long sleeve shirts, T-shirts, they're all 20% off on the website at PowerwayStore.com. They even have some neck gaiters, which you can wear as a mask, you know, during this COVID crisis. Um, and they also keep your face warm if you happen to be out on a brisk walk um, or a hike up up Iron Mountain. Um, but yeah, the, these two um, neck gaiters, there's one that's, you know, really all about Lake Poway. It's a beautiful photo of Lake Poway um, built into this, you know, face mask, neck gaiter. And then there's another one of Iron Mountain. So go check those out too. But all the shirts, 20% off through the end of April. Um, and then also, hey, you want to get on the mailing list for the John Riley Project? I uh, just invite you to come out to my website, johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. There you can get on our, our mailing list and we'll do, you know, newsletters from time to time, give you a little insight on the things we're working on in the podcast, what's happening behind the scenes. So please subscribe to the John Riley Project mailing list at 
johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. Okay, now, um, now let's talk about Malachi Flynn. And, you know, Malachi Flynn, the, the guard that played at San Diego State University, just announced that he is going into the NBA draft. And, man, I, I'm just really proud of him. I, I, I think what he accomplished this past year for San Diego State University is just unbelievable. And he, he, he did everything that was asked of him. I mean, he was the Mountain West Player of the Year, the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, talk. Would he come back for his senior year at San Diego State? Would he enter the draft? And he was talking with his agents and agents have been talking to a lot of the NBA general managers. They're saying he's probably a late first round pick, maybe an early second round pick. And, you know, Brian Dutcher and the staff there, they say, man, if you could potentially get picked in the first round, it's a no brainer. You got to go into the draft. And so he decided to go for it. And, you know, normally what these college students will do, if they aren't sure if they're going to go into the draft or not, they usually have those workouts with the NBA teams um, during the months of April and May leading up to the draft, which I think is in June normally. Well, all those workouts have been canceled because of the whole coronavirus thing. So he didn't really have a chance to sort of put his toe in the water and then pull out if it didn't look good. So he just decided to go all in. And I just think it's great. I mean, I just reading more about Malachi Flynn. And, you know, he's not a big guy. He's only 6'1", but just a really special player. Score 6'1". He was the defensive player of the year in the Mountain West. You think a defensive player of the year would be some seven-foot shot blocker guy, but it was Malachi Flynn. And I was looking at what he has accomplished. I mean, in high school, when he was a freshman, he was only five foot two. Imagine that. On the freshman team in high school, five foot two. And then he grew to five six as a sophomore and then eventually had a growth spurt to get to his current height of six foot one. And man, if you're gonna go play in the NBA and be six feet tall or six feet one inch, um, man, you gotta be a fighter. You gotta be a, a scrappy player to be able to play at that high level, but you know that he can do it. Um he he's going to outplay everybody in terms of his IQ. I mean, the guy is brilliant on the floor. He knows when to bring, get his teammates involved. He knows when to make the extra pass. He knows when he has to step up and be a scorer. Um, so, and, and he knows on defense how to you know how to do the full court press and really clamp down defensively on players and get so many steals. Um, so he's just he's ready and he's humble. Um, you know, talking about uh, Daryl Hall, and he, he's kind of cocky uh, to a great degree. Uh, but Malachi Flynn, very humble guy, um, which I think could serve him well going into the NBA, especially since he's not coming in as like a six foot eight um, kind of a guard, a six one guard. He's going to have to have a bit of humility um, going in and then kind of work his way through. But I just have great confidence. I mean, his. His playmaking was just great. I mean, how about that shot at the end of the game against San Jose State? Boy, I was watching that on TV, and that was a game. It was so frustrating to watch. The Aztecs had had a really good start in um, in November, and this was one of their first games in December. And, boy, they were laying an egg. They just couldn't score, and nothing was working. And San Jose State, definitely one of the worst teams in the Mountain West. And it came down to a three-pointer. Like, as the buzzer was going off, it was a buzzer beater, and Malachi Flynn drained it, man. And that was just a great highlight, a great moment. Um, 
So what is he going to be like in the NBA? I mean, I think he could potentially be like a Steph Curry. You know, Curry can drive. He can shoot from long range. He can be a point guard. I see their games very similar. Um, Malachi Flynn says he's modeling his himself after Chris Paul. And he also talked about Van Vliet, um, who's a player. I don't really know much about him. I've heard his name. Does he play for Brooklyn, I think? I'm not sure. Um, but he, both those guys, Chris Paul and Van Vliet, are undersized guards. And so it makes sense that he's modeling his game after them. So imagine if Malachi Flynn gets into the NBA. You know, San Diego State would then have three guys because right now there's um, – Kawhi Leonard, of course, and then Jalen McDaniels, who was taken in the second round last year, and he is um, on the Charlotte Hornets roster. He was up and down with the G League there for a while, but he had been playing very well right before the NBA season was shut down. And so, you know, Malachi Flynn could be the third Aztec in the NBA. It should be great. And then there's another one knocking on the door, and that's Zylan Cheatham, uh, who played for the Aztecs and then played his final year at Arizona State. He is – I follow Zylan Cheatham on Twitter, and he's unbelievable. This is another guy that, that's a big personality and really thinks a lot of himself. And he's kind of a little bit wacky too. But boy, does that guy have game. And and you see some of the things he's doing on the court in the G League are unbelievable, the numbers he's putting up. So, And then Cheatham, what, what team would he be coming up with? Is it the Hawks? can't remember what team he would be coming up with if he does make his um, debut in the NBA. So looking forward to seeing him out there. But yeah, just I think we're still mourning the loss of the end of that Aztec season. It was just they were so good. 30 wins and two losses. Um, And now we're talking about next year. And they were originally going to be a top 25 team. But then once Malachi Flynn announced that he was going into the draft, well, now they've fallen out of the preseason top 25. And it's funny that they're making these really early predictions. Uh, but the Aztecs got a new guard coming in, Terrell Gomez from Northridge, and he's a, just a fantastic scorer, but he's only five foot eight, so a really little guy. So it'll be fun to see him on the court as well. Um, you know, is he the playmaker of Malachi Flynn? Who knows? Is he the defender? Probably not. He's got a lot to learn on defense. But from a scoring perspective, they, there might be some commonality, some similarity. So we'll see. Um, yeah, so you know, next year, assuming there is a next year, but next year, um, yeah, they'll have Terrell Gomez, and, and we're not going to have Joel Mensa any longer. So Joel Mensa, another one of the six ten guys, and he was a project. Apparently, wasn't working out the way he'd hoped, so he he entered the transfer portal. Not sure where he's going to land, but we'll be rooting for Joel Mensa. But it, it's interesting how they they announced that he decided to transfer. But sometimes I wonder really what happens in a private meeting with, with Coach Dutcher and the rest of the coaching staff, did, did Joel Mensa want to transfer? My guess is he probably wanted to stay. I'm sure he wants more playing time. But, you know, this is a top, nationally ranked number six team in the country last year. You, does he want to leave? So I, I wonder if it was more of a mutual decision or maybe they just said, we're taking away your scholarship. I'm not sure what happened, but I wonder. So, um, yeah, Joel Mensa won't be there. So now there are two open scholarships, and the Aztecs have some work to do. They've got to recruit, and how are you going to do that? Because no one's playing, and there's no summer league, and what's going to happen? So I, I don't know. Um, but I, I will say that um, 
Yeah, the, the games at Viejas Arena are just fantastic. It's a great experience. And if you've never gone to an Aztec game on campus at San Diego State, I, I encourage you to do it. It's just so fun. And always get there early. Um, definitely, I, I love when they do the opening lineups and and when the, when the, the uh, lights go off and the music starts. And I just love that. Um, and if you get there super early, like an hour early, you can see a lot of their warmups. And sometimes they'll be putting on a show just doing just awesome slam dunks and things you normally wouldn't see uh, during the game. But they'll, they'll have some fun out there. So I just love the Aztec program. I try to go to games maybe two or three a year. I, I never miss a game when they're on TV. Um, but wow. So, man, Malachi Flynn, we're going to wish him well going into the NBA. I think he has a chance to be very successful because he's just so smart. Um, he knows what role to play and he can defend, he can score, he can distribute. I mean, he's going to be able to do everything possible for a guy that's six foot one. But it, it is also interesting to think about what's going to happen next year. And they were interviewing the athletic director of San Diego State. And he was saying that, you know, sports for the year 2021, you know, from 2020 through 2021, you know, next school year, there still is no guarantee there's going to be sports, not just basketball, but everything. And he was saying how a lot of it depends on football because football is a big revenue generator. Football is what provides a lot of the um, revenue that can, you know, football and basketball provide a lot of the revenue that funds some of the sports that don't typically have huge numbers of fans show up. So all these other sports are dependent on the big revenue from football and basketball, especially football. Now, you know, they should be starting spring camps here pretty quick if it were under normal times. Um, and then the season usually begins in late August. And that's only what, like four months away. So Chances, I mean, if you have to, if you're a betting man, if I'm a betting man, I, I don't think the season's going to start. And I know uh, President Trump says he was hopeful that the NFL season would happen in the fall, but I don't know. But I, my spidey senses are telling me that um, they're, they're, my spidey senses are tingling and they're telling me that I don't think there's going to be sports in the fall. Um, so then what happens? And then if there's no fall sports, there may not be a basketball season. Um, and then into the spring, there may not be baseball. I mean, What's going to happen? I don't know. Um, interesting to speculate. Is the NBA coming back? Is Major League Baseball coming back? We're going to learn a lot. And, uh, you know, we always have David Leland on in these podcasts. Love talking sports with him. Um, so hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have sports back. I, I just miss it. Um, even on these weekends when I'm working on things, uh, my projects or working on things around the house, I always love having a ball game on in the background. It just, it's just it's – it's part of the way that I've lived my life and grown up is always being around sports. I've never been a great athlete myself, but I've always loved the game. I've always been a big fan, and um, I miss it. Uh, but I do wish Malachi Flynn all the, the best wishes in the world, and I think he is ready. You know, the funny thing is, is that when Kawhi Leonard uh, came out after his sophomore year, when was that? Like 2011. I was the guy who was saying, oh, no, no, he still needs more time at college ball. And then, of course, he proved me wrong because he came out and he was great right out of the gate. So uh, I'm now I've learned that lesson. If, if they're proving it on the court in college, you got to let them go. And They'll have an opportunity to make a lot of money. And if not in the NBA, they'll be making a lot of money overseas, you know, in Europe, 
in South America and Mexico and even in China. You know, Jamal Franklin from the Aztecs is making over a million dollars a year playing basketball in China. So even if these guys don't make the NBA, there's still a great opportunity to play the game you love, you know, and, and get paid to do it. Um, wow. What a, I mean, what would be so fantastic for those guys? So anyways, great for him. Um, okay. I, I think we have a little time to get into this Swedish death cleaning, you know. So let's talk about this. This is a funny story because um, – I, I had not heard this term until maybe a week ago. And, you know, during this whole, um, you know, I said I wasn't going to talk about the whole COVID thing, but I brought it up a numerous times in this podcast, but mostly peripherally. But one of my friends, uh, she lives in Ohio and she was doing a massive cleaning job in her house. And she referred to it as death cleaning. And I'm like, what What do you mean? And And, and the whole idea of it was, is that if... Um, you know, if you happen to die and your children come into your house, you don't want them going through all your shit, you know, all your crap. You want to get it cleaned out and organized. And so, you know, if that fateful day ever comes, then it's easier for the people that will pick up after you leave um, out where you left off. And it's an interesting concept. And it, it, it makes me think about a lot of different things because, you know, as we've had our children growing up, you know, during those years, we accumulate a lot of stuff. And then, you know, then, you know, when they, they went away and they were, um, you know, we were empty nesters there for a while. Now they've come back because of the whole COVID situation. Um, but, you know, you realize you accumulate things, but then once they're gone, you realize a lot of the stuff that we have, we don't really need. And so I was always thinking about doing a lot of cleansing, a lot of purging, but never in the framework of this thing called a Swedish death cleaning. But I just want to read this. This is an article from Time Magazine. It's just some great excerpts that I want to share. So, um, and I'll include this link in the show notes. So from the article, I'll just read along. My mother has been hounding him, you know, the, the father, for years to pare it down, but he hasn't been willing to budge until this year. In the past 12 months, two of my grandparents have passed away. And since then, my mom and dad have spent a huge chunk of time combing through and cleaning out their parents' homes, discarding and donating their possessions to anyone who would take them. It's been a wake-up call for my dad, especially who is suddenly encouraging me to take the items from their basement. I've been eyeing for my own place. He said, you're going to get it eventually, so you might as well take it now, he joked. And yeah, it is interesting. Now, I had to I had to help my wife when her parents passed away, and we had to go through all their stuff and donate it. In some cases, we had a garage sale, and it's it's hard, you know, to go through all that. So... This is just an interesting thing. So apparently there's a Swedish word, um, and I'll read from the article. There's a Swedish word from my dad's newfound willingness to unload and declutter, and it's called dostadning, and it's a hybrid of the words for death and cleaning. And as morbid as it sounds, that's exactly what death cleaning is. It's the process of cleaning house before you die, rather than leaving it up to your loved ones to do it after you're gone. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is a, just an interesting topic. So the death cleaning method bears similarities to that of tidying guru Marie Kondo. So maybe you've seen Marie Kondo and she's always talking about, you know, cleansing your space and getting rid of stuff you don't need to declutter. And she's wonderful. Um, so. Yeah, so death cleaning method bears similarities to that of the tidying uh, up guru Marie Kondo. Keep what you love and get rid of what you don't. But while Kondo tells people to trash, recycle, or donate what they discard, um, Magnuson, who I guess is the um, one of the people pushing this Swedish death cleaning, um, recommends giving things you no longer want to family and friends. Like whenever they come over for dinner or whenever you catch up with them. <laughs> so imagine... Like people come over to your house for dinner and like, hey, would you like to take this couch with you? <laughs> would you like some of this uh, old china? Um, that, to me, that's kind of funny. So maybe that works in the Swedish uh, culture. I I would have a little trouble trying to pass off my things to, to friends and neighbors when they come over to visit. Um, and then uh, the, finally, the article goes on to say, death cleaning may have benefits for the cleaners themselves and not just their loved ones. Some research suggests that clutter in the home can raise stress levels and reduce productivity. And as adults get older, having a house full of stuff may also raise their risk for falls and create other health and safety issues. So this this is great. I mean, it's like like George Carlin. You know, he talked about you have so much stuff and and you got to have a place for your stuff and you got to rent a storage hall or storage uh, locker for your stuff. Um, yeah, we, we accumulate a lot of stuff. And it's true when there's more clutter, it does raise stress. And I know for me that whenever I'm going through a period of stress and, you know, with my work or with other things going on in my life, the first thing that I do is I declutter. I clean my desk. And that in and of itself is very therapeutic to go through and clean your environment. And then it has, for me, a decluttering effect in my mind at the same time where my mind simplifies and my mind is cleansed. And then when I sit back down on my desk in a nice clean environment, I'm, I'm able to think more clearly and be able to prioritize things and my stress level goes way down. So... You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, during this whole COVID thing, we, we've been cleaning in our home. My wife actually has been doing a lot. And we have one closet in our dining room that over the years has just accumulated a lot of stuff. We had, we, we, we got rid of all of our, we have cassette uh, cassettes that we've been hauling around for years, never listening to from the 1980s. I still have the cassettes when I was in high school of Hall and Oates and of Rush and, and of Tom Petty. Um, but also um, we got rid of all of our CDs and our DVDs because we don't listen or watch them at all. Everything we do is streaming now. Um, so I, my Lord of the Rings trilogy, I, I said goodbye to it. That Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the DVD, it was meaningful to me. I, I remember in 2000 and I think it was two, I fell off our roof putting up our Christmas lights and I, frankly, I'm lucky I'm here. Um, I was in the hospital for a week. I was out of work for three months. I was really, really messed up. And I remember during that recovery, I was able to watch The Fellowship of the Ring, the first um, of that series. And I really began to understand it a lot more. I would watch it multiple times. And so I, I kind of have a connection with that 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 CD set or excuse me, the DVDs, but I said goodbye to those. I said goodbye to the Star Wars um, DVDs. 
I said goodbye to my Ken Burns baseball history DVD, which is great. But that Ken Burns baseball documentary is on Netflix. So, you know, so we're just cleansing and purging. And um, I got to tip my hat to my wife. She did 99% of the work. Um, But I took a look in our closet. It's like half of it is gone. Um, So unbelievable. So I know some other people have been doing a lot of these kind of cleaning projects. But man, just chip away at it. It's good stuff. And um, yeah, but Swedish death cleaning. It's it's just a whole fascinating concept, a term I had never heard before. But it's a thing. And it makes sense. So I just thought I'd share a little bit about that. So, hey, if you want to continue the conversation, you know, join us on Facebook. You know, John Riley Project is uh, um, our page there. I put all of our episodes up. Um, we have a special insiders group uh, just for people that are big fans of the podcast. We have a little more conversation there. So join the John Riley Project insiders group on Facebook. It's a closed group, so you, a private group. So you got to answer a couple of questions. We let everybody in. Uh, so join us there. And I'm also really active on, on Twitter. So you can look for me there on John Riley Poway is my handle on Twitter. Um, and then, of course, on YouTube, you know, fill out the, you know, the, the, actually, I should say on YouTube, first of all, subscribe, please, and subscribe to all of the other platforms. But also on YouTube, I love the interchange. I'm, I get a lot of comments on the podcast, and you know, some of the viewers like to continue the conversation. Sometimes they challenge me. Maybe they're going through the sine wave as well. There are parts of the podcast they love, parts they hate, and the parts they hate, they let me know, and we talk it out. And it's fun. And I enjoy that conversation. It's never anger. It's never bitter. It's never crazy flame wars. It's just civil, rational discussion, just like I do with the guests that are on the podcast. Um, So I have a couple of closing quotes, and these are both from Daryl Hall. And the first one's good. He says, I have to say, I have never been comfortable with somebody else telling me what to do in any way. And I love that. So, you know, Daryl Hall is very proud of what he's accomplished. He's also an artist and his art is personal to him and he doesn't want to have his art compromised. He doesn't want to be told what to do. Um, and I love that. And I mean, it reminds me of Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead, you know, the architect that didn't want to compromise. But the um, it's 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 I, I, I respect artists that have integrity in what they do. And Daryl Hall is definitely one of them. Now, he did talk about I think this was in the Charlie Rose interview where they did a lot of those videos in the 80s. And he was saying how the the director of the video was just like totally on cocaine in the middle of the night. And some of them ended up too goofy and he regrets a lot of it. He wishes he didn't do much of it, but that's when they were young and they didn't really understand as much. But now that he's older, especially, he's just not taking crap from anybody and, and he doesn't want to be told what to do. And I love that. I love that independent streak. I love the entrepreneurism. I, I love... The artistry of that. So that's a great quote. I have to say, I've never been comfortable with somebody else telling me what to do in any way. And then the other quote he shared is good. He said, any song I don't feel good about, I shelve. Anything you ever hear me sing, it's because I want to. So it's another case of having integrity in what you produce, having pride in what you produce, not wanting to put out a subpar performance making sure that what you deliver is important and meaningful to you. So those are great words to live by. And I, frankly, for me, is 
a guy that's cranking out these podcast episodes, that's important for me to keep in mind too, because I will admit some of my podcasts, and if you're a frequent listener of you or you know, some are better than others. Um, but still, every one of the things I talk about are things that I want to say. That's why I get organized and get in front of this microphone and do it. Um, but I, I, I love what he said there. Any song I don't feel good about, I shelf. Anything you ever hear me sing, it's because because I want to. So that's trusting his gut. That's trusting his intuition. Um, and it's also satisfying himself that he can take pride in what he does because when he's on stage and he's performing, it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And it's got to come from the heart, from a from a meaningful place. You know, for Daryl Hall, it has to come from the soul. And so if he's not believing it, um, it's not going to come off right. And yeah, he's, he nailed it. So a, as an artist, that's a beautiful quote. Any song I don't feel good about, I shelve. Anything you hear me sing, it's because I want to. So those are just great quotes for life in general. You know, take pride in what you do. Put out the best possible product uh, you have. Um, don't let anyone push you around and try to get you to do things you don't want to do. Stand up for yourself have self-esteem, just great stuff. So um, Daryl Hall, man, he's 73. John Oates is 72. I'm hoping that we get a chance to see them, but I don't know when concerts are going to start up again. So maybe in 2021, but by that time, they're going to be 74 and 73 and one step closer to the finish line for their career. So who knows? But Anyways, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, This is the John Riley Project. It's episode number 128, and it's April 19th, 2020. So have a great day, friends, and we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.